Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, last week, don't know if you were here, but uh, last week I, I did my very best not to say it, although I found that really hard. Well, tonight I am going to say it, and I need to say it, and hopefully you'll understand why I'm going to say it whenever we read these next few verses in Hebrews 3 as part of our Elevated Jesus series. I, I actually think Gordon might have said it this morning. I, I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I was speaking at the Chinese church, but he may have said it this morning. So for those who have no clue what I'm talking about, uh, which is maybe most of us, uh, all will become very clear in a moment. So please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, it's page 1202 in the, in the Red Pew Bibles. And, and two weeks ago, we started this, this section of Hebrews that begins at the first verse of chapter 3, where the writer urges his readers to do this. Consider Jesus. Or if you're if using another translation, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Who the writer then goes on to say, listen, this Jesus that I want you to consider is greater than or he's superior to the great apostle and high priest, Moses. But consider Jesus. And a part of, or a key part of the reason why he encourages his readers to do that is so that they might avoid losing their way in the Christian life. It's so that they would avoid drifting, that they would persevere, that they would endure to the very and, or, or to use the last part of verse 6, if you see it there, where we ended a fortnight to go, uh, go, that they would hold firmly, they would consider Jesus in order to hold firmly to the confidence, again, from last, from two weeks ago, and hope in which we glory. You see, and, and this is something we've, we've said quite a lot recently, and the reason we've said it a lot recently is it, it keeps coming up, is that it is possible to start well and yet finish poorly. It's possible to do that. It is possible to experience salvation, live for God, live with God, but then lose your way. It is possible to do that. To then begin to kind of make choices that contradict your faith. To go in certain directions that compromise your faith. Or in the words of Hebrews, it is possible to neglect your great salvation. You've been saved, but it is possible to reach a place where you neglect your salvation and maybe find yourself in a place spiritually that you never imagined you would be. And I'll guarantee you, and we've said this before, I'll guarantee you we all know people like that. And that breaks many of our hearts. Well, as the writer of Hebrews warns against this, because that's one of, the, one of the reasons he's writing here, he's warning against losing their way, against drifting. What he does here is he takes his readers back in time. He takes them right back to the Psalms, and specifically to Psalm 95, but also back to the children of Israel, the people of God under Moses' leadership because their story or a large chunk of it acts as a stark reminder and example of what can happen to you if you're not careful. It's sobering. So 
So let's start reading together at verse 7. So, says the writer, as the Holy Spirit says. Now, I want us to pause there for a second, because notice this isn't past tense. It's not as the Holy Spirit said. It's as the Holy Spirit says. And so, even though what the writer of Hebrews is about to refer to and about to quote is from years and years ago, a thousand years to be exact, these words of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, is still speaking, still relevant. It still applies. It still relates. So, as the Holy Spirit says, this is for us 2,000 years later as well. So let's read to the end of the chapter, and we'll stand, we'll stand together if that's okay. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. As you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But, as long, but encourage one another as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Grab a seat. So, Let's uh, say it all together. <laughs> uh, here's my mantra. Here's my frequently repeated slogan. Okay, all together now. The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. I hope you notice that right throughout that section of Scripture, the writer refers to the heart. Quite a few occasions. And he refers to at least four different heart conditions that have contributed to the disaster of what happened to the people of God over a period of 40 years in the wilderness. And remember, and this is the key point, this happened to the people of God in the wilderness after they had been rescued and saved. And if we miss that, we, we miss what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. And so he talks about a hardened heart. In fact, he talks about that twice, verses 8 and 15. He talks about a wandering heart, a heart that goes astray in verse 10. He talks about a sinful heart, an unbelieving heart, both 
in verse 12. And as a result of these, a people who started so well ends so poorly. And the writer of Hebrews draws attention to their story in order to warn his current and all subsequent readers of the danger and the consequences of a heart that loses its way. Because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And so the question, and I know I ask it often, but how is your heart this evening? And, and only you can answer that. Because I and we all look on the outward appearance, but God looks on our hearts tonight and searches our hearts. And so, how is your heart tonight? Hard? Wandering? Any sin crept in? Any unbelief? Now, before we take a, a kind of closer look at this, notice the urgency with which the writer starts here. He says, today. Today, if you hear his voice, right now. Do you know, this is one of the reasons, and some of you may know this, but Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8 is actually quoted at the beginning of many current worship services as a constant reminder to a congregation, listen, today, if you hear God's voice. Because remember, God is still speaking. And so as we come to a service like this, we, we should be saying today, right now, if any of us hears God's voice speaking to them through his word, don't harden your hearts. Listen carefully to what he might be saying to you. And the next couple of verses in Hebrews 3, which are a quote from Psalm 95, they take us right back to the wilderness where there's reference to rebellion and how the people there tried and tested God. And as a result of them rebelling and testing and trying God, their hearts hardened. And specifically what this has taken us right back to is Exodus 17, where the people ran out of water. And who can tell me what they started to do whenever they ran out of water? They started to what? Grumble, quarrel, complain. They complained against Moses or to Moses, but Moses immediately turned it around and said, listen, your complaint's not against me. Your complaint's against the Lord. In fact, the question that the people asked Moses as a result of them running out of water was this, is the Lord not among us? You see, the people's hearts started to solidify and unbelief began to creep in. Is God really with us? Is God still with us? Is God good? Is God actually here now? I mean, these particular people had been rescued from slavery. They had been saved after their people had been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. They had been miraculously saved, this particular generation, by Almighty God. And therefore, they were ready at that time to follow him anywhere. Their faith was strong as they walked out of Egypt. Their hearts were committed. Their hearts were fully devoted. And that was only reinforced as they walked through the Red Sea, as they watched the pillar of cloud and fire guide them. Their faith was only reinforced. But you know something? After the initial buzz wore off, and as soon as the going started to get tough, 
When things got hard, when things got challenging, when things got demanding, they started to quarrel. And their belief in God took a massive hit. And you know, and this is a really important point we've made it many times, there are few things that harden a heart as effectively and impact a heart as negatively as a tendency to quarrel and complain and argue. There are very few things that harden a heart quicker than an argumentative, complaining, quarreling attitude. It damages your heart. But despite these people's quarreling and their lack of belief and the hardening of their heart, God still provides for his people. And so he instructs Moses to strike a rock and water gushes from it. And so the people's thirst is quenched. But the major moment of heart hardening and unbelief comes at the border of the promised land. Twelve spies are sent in. And ten come back and say, do you know, it's a no-go zone. Whereas two return and say, let's, let's go in. Let's take the land. But we all know what happened. The people's heart became so hard, their belief in God was reduced to such a level that they believed the ten negative spies. And so they started saying to Moses, Moses, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to slavery. And in fact, you know what? Let's kill Joshua and Caleb, the two positive believing spies. It's all recorded for us in Numbers 13 and 14, which is what Psalm 95 is referring to. And so how did God respond to the people then? Well, here's what he says. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? You see, God had done so much for them. God had saved them. God had delivered them. God had kept them. God had preserved them. God had provided for them. God had guided them. But their hearts hardened. Why? Via unbelief, negativism, and disobedience because they started to do their own thing and go their own way. And as the writer of Hebrews takes his readers back to this time in history, he's effectively holding up the mirror of God's word and asking his readers, listen, will you please check your heart against these people's hearts? How is your heart in comparison to these people's hearts? Is your heart hardening? Are you losing belief in God, trust in God? Are your hearts starting to wander and head off in another direction? And so listen again to verse 12, because here is the writer of Hebrews' strong and urgent advice in light of what happened way back then. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. In other words, it was turned towards God at one point. You were miraculously saved by God at one point. But see to it now that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that just like Solomon we looked at recently, 
your heart begins to turn away from the living God. So again, let me ask you, how is your heart tonight? How is your heart? Let's go to verses 10 and 11 as the writer continues quoting Psalm 95 because he reminds us all of what happened as a result of the hardness of Israel's heart way back in the wilderness. These were serious consequences. So here's what he says. Their hearts, this, sorry, it starts, this is why I became angry with that generation, I said, and then on the screen. Their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now we, we all know what happened. No one over the age of 20 at the time of the Exodus entered the promised land. I mean, I know we all know that. No one over the age of 20 at the time of the Exodus entered the promised land. In other words, entered God's rest. No one apart, that is, from Joshua and Caleb. Of the 600,000 men, that's how many men left Egypt. So a million plus Israelites, including women and children. Of the 600,000 men, plus women and children, who started so well, only two, over the age of 20, entered the promised land. And that was 40 years later. Everyone else, over the age of 20 at the time of Exodus, ended up filling a million sandy graves in the wilderness and never entered God's rest. See, it's possible to start so well, yet finish so poorly. And this is the key message of the writer of Hebrews here in this chapter. To quote R. Kent Hughes as he comments on this passage, the point the writer of Hebrews wants his readers to see is that it is possible to have a remarkable spiritual exodus and yet fall by the way whenever trouble comes. Suppose it's a bit like the parable that Jesus told about the, the different types of ground that seed falls on, specifically the rocky ground. And so to quote Jesus, what was sown on rocky places is the man or the woman who hears the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since he has no root, he or she only lasts a short time. And here's the bit, when trouble or persecution comes, when the going gets hard, when it becomes challenging and demanding, because they are a Christian, then they quickly fall away. And you see, it is sobering to think that some people can refer back to an exodus moment. Many people can refer back to how they left Egypt and were identified with God's people, but somewhere along the road, when the challenges arose, when the hassle kicked in, when the doubts crept in, when trouble raised its head, they started to drift. Their hearts started to drift, and they lost their way. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Do not wake up one day outside of God's eternal rest. I mean, that is a solemn warning. 
do not wake up one day because of an unbelieving, hardening, wandering, sinful heart, and therefore never enter God's eternal rest. So what do we do? How do we make sure this doesn't happen to us? Because this is what the writer of Hebrews is addressing here. He does not want this to happen to his readers. It happened to so many of the people of Israel way back in the wilderness. And so he writes to his current readers years later, and he said, I don't want this to happen to you. I do not want you to drift. I do not want you to lose your way. So how? How do you make sure you don't become another casualty? Well, three things. One's implicit, two, you're explicit. And the first thing takes me to another thing that I keep going on about when it comes to the heart, which is, Guard your heart. Do you know, to avoid a heart that turns away, to avoid a hardening heart, to avoid a wandering heart, to avoid a sinful heart, to avoid an unbelieving heart, it seems obvious to me that we need to protect our hearts. Which is why the writer of Hebrews says, see to it that none of you has. See to it. Protect your heart. Guard your heart, place your heart, patrol your heart, because remember, above all else, you gotta guard it, for everything you do flows from your heart, as the timeless wisdom of Proverbs reminds us. Above everything else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. If we don't protect our hearts, We leave them exposed to attack, vulnerable to temptation, open to distraction, liable to compromise, and prone to wander. And so let me go back to a question that I was first asked in Canada on sabbatical 2001 that led to Proverbs 4.23 becoming my life verse. And it's a question I've asked numerous people ever since. What are you currently doing to guard your heart? What are you currently doing? If above all else, God's word says guard your heart, what are you and I currently doing to protect it? The writer of Hebrews tells his readers to see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving, wandering heart. Implicit in that, I think, is the need to guard our hearts. The second thing, which is explicit, that he recommends his readers do, is found in verse 13, and this is where one another comes in, because what does he say? But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This, This is one of the many one another's in the New Testament, those little biblical instructions on how we are to live as the family of God, we're to pray for one another, forgive one another, comfort one another, support one another, serve one another, love one another. We've gone through this time and time again. And here, although it's not only here in Hebrews 3, but here we are told to encourage one another. And the need to do this is vital because the encouragement of supporting one another in the Christian life is absolutely necessary. You see, it's so easy to feel discouraged. It's so easy to get discouraged. 
And I love the fact that this encouraging one another needs to be something we do every single day. Did you notice what it says? Encourage one another daily. Do this every day. Do it regularly. And there is no doubt that whenever someone encourages you, whenever you know others are with you in this, they're cheering you on, whenever you know you're not in this alone, then it can make all the difference in the world. Let me quote another proverb. Anxious hearts are very heavy, but a word of encouragement does wonders. Anxious hearts are very heavy. Some of us have got anxious hearts. But a word of encouragement does wonders. And we need to be people who encourage one another. Think how differently it would have been back in the wilderness if the people had encouraged one another rather than quarreled and complained and argued and become negative. But don't lose sight of why encourage, I mean, it's good to encourage one another, and we should do it because it's a biblical instruction, but, but don't lose sight of why it's so important, why we've got to do it daily. Here is the reason, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Do you know, we as Christians can be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I mean, I know because of Jesus, we're no longer slaves to sin. But sin still tempts us as Christians, doesn't it? Sin still attracts. Sin still lurks in the corners of my life anyway. It still deceives me at times. Sin still causes my heart to harden. But the antidote of a hardening heart is the encouragement of one another. That's what the writer's saying here. Brothers and sisters, encourage one another while it is still today. Why? So that none of you may be hardened. And so here's my encouragement to you. Choose to encourage somebody before the night is out. Someone you came with, someone you've never met before. Think of something you can say to someone to encourage them. So guard your heart, encourage one another, and then the third thing that's explicit is persevere. Verse 14, and here's it in a slightly different version from the one Richard drew attention to at the start. We have come to share in Christ if, and now here's one of these other ifs that so many people struggle with. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence, or here, our original conviction firmly to the end. See, the Israelites had no, let's go back to the word confidence, the Israelites had no lack of confidence just after the exodus. The problem was that confidence faded over time, especially as the road got a little bumpy. Perseverance in the Christian life is not a foregone conclusion. Perseverance in the Christian life is not a foregone conclusion. And therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, listen, you need to hold your original conviction really, your original confidence really tightly. And how do you do that? Back to the beginning of the chapter, you consider Jesus. You fix your thoughts 
on Jesus. That is how you persevere. That is how you endure. That is how you stay focused to the very end. The writer of Hebrews, and I'm nearly done. The writer of Hebrews does not want his readers, those first century Christians who were under huge amounts of pressure. They were under pressure to drift back into Judaism. They were under pressure to lose their faith, to walk away from their faith. And so he says, do you know, if you're going to avoid that, you need to learn from your history. You need to make sure you don't make the same mistakes as ancient Israel made. Don't let your heart harden. Don't let your heart wander. Make sure you do not allow your heart to turn and it becomes sinful and unbelieving. Why? Because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And so, as the Holy Spirit says, today, so not tomorrow, not next week, today, if any of us hear God's voice, respond. How? Guard your heart. Encourage one another. And never give up. May God help us. Lord, you have my heart, and I will search for yours.